This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 444 of the Stable Scoop Show. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are Horselovers.com and the Fairfield Inn North in Lexington, Kentucky. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop This is Glenn the Geek And this is Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network Now Glenn, it's raining here in Rhode Island And it's pretty cold today but I, I still can't say that we have better weather than you do in Florida. No, it's uh, 80 degrees and sunny. All right. Damn, <laughs> I brought it up. Well, it's been a really warm You asked. I wasn't going to say anything. It's been a very warm winter here. It's, the, it's February 7th. Uh, we're, we're taping this on February 7th. And this is probably the first chilly day where I've actually said, I, I'm going to stay inside today. You know, it, I think what's happened this year, and I just noticed because there's another big snowstorm coming across the top of the country. No oh, crap. In, in years past, it's been the East Coast and the Northeast that have always gotten the big major storms, and then there would be snow out West, but not the constant storms that are coming across this year. So things have changed this year. You know, our friends that live in Michigan and the Dakotas and Iowa and all those states over there are the ones suffering this year. They're the ones buried in snow, Wisconsin and all of those northern states coming across. And then, of course, the lake effect snow people, they just get it every year. But but the, never... but the mid-Atlantic region is also yeah. getting hit, not just with snow, but with all kinds of unsettled weather. Yeah, the tornadoes. You know? I, matter of fact, we're recording this on Tuesday, and I just got an alert about tornadoes all over Louisiana again. So, uh. yeah, uh, tornadoes, again, I've said it a thousand times before, I think are the scariest weather phenomenon. I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't survive living in an area where they were a regular risk. It's just too anxiety-provoking. Well, and, you know, with hurricanes, you know they're coming. You have time. You know, you have time. Blizzards, you have time. True. But tornadoes, no time. You have try- time to go shop for bread and milk. Yeah, you can hunker <laughs> down, right? And you can prepare. Yeah. And most of the time, you're going to be okay. Or you move away from the coast. But you just, tornadoes are just nasty. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody in that area in Louisiana and the South uh, this week are thinking about you again after uh, the last round went through. Speaking of which, perfect transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a list here that w- was put out by Gallup. It was from a Gallup poll. And they do this every year. And it is the top one, the top states for happiness. Now, they ranked all the states by happiness level, so I can give you the top states and then the bottom states. So if you were to guess who the happiest in the country are, who would you guess? What states? Hawaii. Number one. Good guess. Ding, ding, ding. It's number one every year. (laughs) 
<laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Hawaii. Then I would say the next happiest state would be, um, believe it or not, I think, well, maybe not in this order, but up there would be Vermont. Number six. And ding, 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 ding. Good job. Okay. Because Vermonters just don't care anymore. They're like the honey badger. They don't give a hoot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I'm going to say, there? I don't know, probably, <laughs> probably the home of Bernie Sanders. Uh, and then maybe like New Mexico. Uh, no, <clears throat> New Mexico what? is somewhere in the middle. Uh, number 20 is New Mexico. Oh, all right. So That's want, not bad. You want me to give you the top 10? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Number 10 is Texas. Nine's Minnesota. It's cold there. I don't know why that's nine. nine. Uh, they apparently embrace the cold in Minnesota. Number eight's Montana, another state that embraces the cold. Uh, number seven is Arizona. Number six okay, is Vermont, that. like you said. Number five is Colorado, because again, marijuana is legal and they have a lot of skiing <laughs> and it's a beautiful state. Are you setting so. yourself up for something? Yeah. Fun? <laughs> Maine is number four. Are you surprised? I was a little surprised that Maine would be you know, number four. No, I was going to say Maine. They're kind of like Vermont. They don't care. They don't care. They don't care about and stuff. You always hear about the Mainers, and the Mainers always just seem to be enjoying themselves eating lobster. So you know, it, It's it, true. They're yeah. far enough away from the rest of the world where they just don't give a hoot. Yeah. By the way, we apologize to anybody in any state that we're offending with this, <laughs> with this bit. Uh, number we three. Just, well, <laughs> we apologize to anybody anywhere yeah. who we might offend because yeah. we will offend you. Yeah, we're just surprised you're still listening. Uh, number three is South Dakota. <laughs> Now, that did surprise me. I got to be honest, because it's like freaking cold there. And number two, speaking of cold, is Alaska. So we have Hawaii number one and Alaska number two. And I have a theory about that. What? What? They are the furthest you can get from Washington, D.C. Oh, yes, I would agree. (laughs) I mean, can you get any further? No. Those two states are the farthest you get. So maybe they're just not affected as much. But yeah, Hawaii and Alaska. I was surprised at that. Now, let's talk about our states. Um, I live in Florida, and Florida's number 11. And you would think that Florida would be up there on a happy scale. We have pretty good weather down here, except for yeah. three months of the year, right? So Florida's pretty happy. But we also, if you notice that a lot of wacky criminal stories come out of Florida, like, you know, a Florida yeah. man did this or whatever, there's a lot of wacky criminals in Florida. So we have that going for us. Uh, now, we'll go down, and I'll give you the... The bottom 10, I'll just go through real quick, the bottom 10 states. These are the unhappiest states. Delaware, Mississippi. Rhode Island is eighth from the bottom. Ooh. What's going on there in Rhode Island? Is there not a lot of jobs? No, unemployment has been pretty high. There's a lot of grumpy people in Rhode Island because we're like the redheaded stepchild of New England. You know, we've got like... Massachusetts to the north, and then yeah, but you know, they're grumpy too. Connecticut and and New York to the south, but they have you got we our governor talks about this all the time. You've got all the Ivy League schools to the north of us. You've got Harvard. You've got all the health. Pretty much the, the health and pharmaceutical industry is concentrated in Boston and Cambridge, and then you've got New York to the south, and all the people who work in New York live in Connecticut, and. <laughs> They take all of our business. They take all of our college graduates, and we're left with the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> Unless you live in Little Compton or Newport, then you're good. <laughs> Where does Jessica Actually, live? Our friend Jessica, who has uh, interview connections. Oh, Newport. she's in Warwick. Warwick. Yeah, she's she's on well, the other side of Warwick the bay. Let's add Warwick to that because she's nice. She's nice, but I, I I don't know. I say Warwick, people are a little grumpy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jess. 
<laughs> She's there to clean it up. Yeah. Yeah, Rhode Island's number 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 forty two on the list. Louisiana, which they're having a bad day today, so uh <laughs> Alabama, Ohio, uh, Arkansas, Indiana, Oklahoma. Kind of surprised me about Oklahoma. Yeah, what, you know, other like, than tornadoes, you kind of think of that as just you know a state that things just yeah. Well, maybe it's the tornadoes. I don't know. Number forty nine is Kentucky, and number fifty is West Virginia. You know, Kentucky doesn't surprise me because once you get out of uh, Louis- Louisville and Lexington, it gets pretty rural. There aren't a lot of jobs. They've lost a lot of jobs. You know, it gets pretty poor once you get out, and especially when you get into the mountains, into the Appalachian Mountains, and and that's why West Virginia too <clears throat> is on that list. But yeah, so there you go. For, so I don't know whether you all live in a happy state or a not happy state, or you're just right there in the middle. Well, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> You're one of the like, happy Rhode Islanders. I like living in, I've lived in both. I lived in Massachusetts, I lived in New York, and I lived in Rhode Island. I also lived in New Jersey. And I would say uh, living in Little Compton. I, You know what I love about Rhode Island? I love Little Compton, I love Newport, and I love Providence. Well, Providence is a nice town. It's a really nice town. I adore it. Um, there's a lot of great restaurants a lot of great things to do there and it's not so crowded or crazy like new york or boston i absolutely love providence we went to um where'd you send us up to that fancy college that has the culinary institute johnson and wales the museum yeah we went to the culinary museum there which was really cool it's great providence has actually a fair number of colleges for a small city it's got a lot of great schools it's got like brown university is there uh, providence college rhode island college it's it's kind of a heavy hitter. It's a little, uh, a little underrated. Well, people we got really you beat that. because we have half the horse people in the country here in Ocala now, <laughs> right now. Uh, I know. During, during these couple months. And I'll tell you what, when you try and go out to eat, you know it. You know that here. <laughs> there's a <laughs> lot more people around right now. Uh, and you know what, what's happened with Ocala is you have not only the eventers, which are coming in in greater droves, less and less of them are staying in the Carolinas and more coming down here because there's so many shows down here now. Mm. And so many events and dressage shows and jumping shows and they, they, they can go do all those individual things and then do events as well. There's a big event at the Florida Horse Park this weekend. So uh, so we have all the events, but the endurance riders are here. The carriage drivers are just south of Ocala. So you have all of those things that are all of those different groups of people that now that are descending a lot more dressage coming here. So we're seeing, you know, we're seeing a little bit of everything coming to Ocala now, not just jumpers, which is what it had been in, you know, 20 years ago. Right. Yeah. Right. So it, it's interesting. It's, a, it, you know, there's a lot of things going on. Like when we were, Jennifer took Nigel over riding at the Florida horse park to get him out practicing. So he's less of a nut when he goes out. <laughs> and uh, there was a dressage show going on. I saw a lot of the eventers there. The big name eventers were there practicing dressage. You know, the none yeah. of them looked happy, by the way. Um, Cause they were there to do dressage and none of them looked very happy. It's like, Oh, we got to do this thing. Uh, but yeah. So, so that's, that's Ocala. And, you know, I got to go down and do, talked about this on the morning show. I got to go down and see the royal carriage of, of Gloria Austin's taken out, the gold coach. Which is a, yeah, what I saw those clips. What, what was so special about that coach? Well, it's the only privately owned royal carriage in the world. That carriage was made by Armbruster, which is one of the leading carriage makers in the 1800s. 
and it was made in 1840 for the Emperor Franz Joseph of Austria. Oh. So it was his ceremonial carriage that he used to go out there in parades and you know out to see the out to see the the po- poor folk, um, is, and that's how he would go out. And they would take it out. It's one of the very few that are made for six horses. So Gloria Austin, who is a regular contributor to our shows over on the driving show and a friend of ours, and we've been out driving with Gloria. She's taken us out uh, many times. Uh, So she was out hunting on the West Coast, and I think in uh, Oregon or Washington State, and for carriages. She's a carriage collector. She has like two, three hundred in her collection there that you can go see at this Grand Oak Resort in Florida. And she she was in the barn, and she saw this carriage that was really dilapidated and stuff, and she thought, that looks like it was a fancy carriage. So she asked the guy, can I rip the artificial seat covers off? And she ripped the seat, the you know, plastic seat covers off and discovered a, a broad, broadcloth that she recognized as that had to be a royal, had to be royal at one time. So she started doing research on the insignias that they saw in the carriage, what was left of it. And she discovered that this was the actual carriage from the Emperor Franz Joseph of Austria. It was brought to the United States during World Wars by a movie company. And they had used it in a couple of movies. And she, uh, she said, I tried not to get too excited. And, she, because, and then she said, I offered the guy a mountain. He said, oh, sure, take it. I'll get it out of the barn. And uh, she she actually sent it to Europe and had it completely restored. And all of the gold you saw in the pictures, yeah, is twenty four karat gold. Oh my gosh! All of the gold on the carriage, including the brocade, uh, the the seat cover. I call it the seat cover. It has a fancy name, but yeah. it's the thing that goes over the driver's seat that has all the brocade and all of the tassels on it. Uh, yeah. That's all gold. Uh, uh, what is it called? Gold leaf fabric and all of the tassels are made with with uh, gold infused uh, fabric so everything gold all of it is plated with 24 karat gold so needless to say this cost a fortune to do um and she's only had it out once before so this is only the second time it's ever come out and of course it was beautiful with her six white pre horses uh and hundreds of people showed up for this so it it was the only time a state a, you know, official royal coach had been seen in the United States with six horses. So that's why it was a special deal. And of course, she had all of the, you know, the footmen and the driver and everybody was also in the official. She had replicas made of the outfits that they wore back then in Austria. So everything was authentic. The harness was made uh, using exact replicas of what they used in the harness and the hardware on the harness of what they used in Austria in 1840. But what's also cool is they had a Dutch, the Duchess was there. I don't know her full name. It's a long name. Uh, but there was a Duchess there who was the great, great, great granddaughter of the emperor. And it was the first time that she had ever ridden in a royal coach. Wow. So there was a lot of cool stuff that went on around it. Uh, and then David Saunders, our friend, you know, who used to drive for the Queen, uh, was driving, and he had spent three months cleaning the harness, polishing all the brass, polishing all the gold, and polishing the carriage. He'd spent th- they had spent three months getting this ready for, for that uh, at one outing. And it was absolutely a beautiful day. The sun came out. It was just beautiful. Uh, it was special. I was glad I was there. It was kind of a historic moment, you know, that, that will never happen again, probably. 
Do you think that it would make its way up to the big carriage driving event no, in Newport? That's held. It's going back in the in the in the museum where there's a lot of security. The thing I was going to say, back the, in the vault. Yeah, what, because it's worth a fortune with all that gold on it. Yeah. You know, when she did this, she says, "When when I did this, it, gold was two hundred dollars an ounce." Now yeah. it's like what sixteen hundred or something an ounce. I was thinking this. Yeah. So she had to. Was, how much of it was original gold, or or is it all new? It's all new. She had to oh, have gosh. all the gold had worn off, so she had to have it completely gold plated. <laughs> My yeah. So yeah, she shipped it over to Europe to get it done, and then had it shipped back. There's a lot of stories involved with that. I do have a story, though, that I, I want to tell you. I did mention this on the morning show, but uh, forgive me if anybody's hearing it twice, but it was quite a story. The, these horses are P, Spanish PRE horses that her and David Saunders went over to get in Spain. Over the course of years, she went to one breeder. His name was Miguel uh, Cardenas, and she has gotten these horses from him. She owns 10 of them now. These white PRE Spanish horses, beautiful horses. And she has gotten them from this one breeder over years. As he kept breeding more, she would go over and get more. So she has 10 of them, I think. Oh, gosh. And okay. uh, the day Saturday that we were out there, at the time she was driving these horses, he died. Oh, he died the same day. She found out the next morning that he had died that same day, about the same time she had the horses out. I said, Aww. you know, I said to Gloria, I said, what a tribute you gave him, right? I mean, this yeah. was a tribute he gave him that he, he knew it was going to happen. And, you know, he didn't get to enjoy the pictures of it. But uh, what a tribute to, to the man and, and his horses that they got to do that on the day he died. Uh, but, you know. So I think she was probably going to be attending his funeral, I would think. But it was just an incredible story and kind of a, a, a good tribute. I, you know, I said things are meant to happen for a reason that was meant to happen at that time. Yeah. Yep. yep. The timing sometimes is divine. Yep. You, you, you can't. You just have to. Can't argue with that. So uh, so it was a, just an incredible day. It was it really was. I was so glad I went down. Yeah. I can feel the energy like when you were. I had when I was listening to you. time. <laughs> I was listening to you when you you did it Facebook Live at first, right? I, I, I videoed the whole thing. And you know what? That video's had 120 people share it and it's now be, been viewed by almost 8,000 people. Well, I had the, my phone right, right up to my ear because I wanted to hear what you were whispering. <laughs> well, you know, I, was I like, wasn't going to do say? a video. And then I thought, well, you know, there's other photographers here, but I didn't see anybody doing a, a, a video like that. And then I started and stopped it. So, because it took a long time, it probably took 25, yeah. 30 minutes to get the horses hitched up because they'd bring yeah. two out and hitch them up, bring two out and hitch them well, up. Well, now you know what time. Neil feels like. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's why I wanted to, I, I started and stopped. And Jennifer said, I'm so glad you did that because when I just when I was getting bored, you went, it stopped and you went on to, it was doing something else. Yeah. Uh, and then that property is absolutely beautiful. When you come down to visit, we're going to take you there. It's just stunning. Okay. And, and right now at Grand Oaks, Gloria Austin bought that. Gloria Austin, by the way, is one of the 12 founders of Paychex, the company Paychex back in the 60s. Yeah. So that's where her money comes. That's where her fortune comes from. She was one of the 12 founders and then got bought out uh, when it was worth a bazillion dollars. How can I keep, why can't I come up with <laughs> I something like that? I know, I you and I are here podcasting. Uh, <laughs> like the rock company. I want to like make rocks or something or I don't know. Like something, it's so simple, Paychex. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and they, you know, she was one of the ones responsible for bringing in other countries, and really, she was the salesperson. So she yeah. was truly one of the ones responsible. She's for, earned her, yes, her for making key. it what it was. And in that day, if you think about the late '60s, women in that position weren't in that position. 
that she was in. You know, as a, as a, you know, that high an executive in a big company like that, there weren't a lot of women in that position in the 60s and early 70s. So she was kind of a rare commodity. And uh, when she sold out, she, she bought Grand Oaks, this resort, which is 600 acres or something in central Florida, right, right above Orlando. And it's absolutely beautiful. She had it renovated for horses. It's a horse place. Uh, all the drivers go there and spend the winter. There's a ha- little houses and barns all over the property, miles of trails and it's just beautiful lakes you saw the video there um, and then she sold it uh, she actually sold it to the organization that's running it now and uh, but she lives right there on the property she has rights to live there forever and, and so that's she gets to enjoy it out her backyard with all the without the expense of it it was it's a really cool place so yes, we're definitely taking you and Buck. Buck will love it. The Carriage Museum, if anybody's in Central Florida, I don't care if you're interested in carriages or not, go there. She has carriages dating back thousands of years to the Chinese, all the way up to cars. She takes it right through the transition in cars. The Carriage Museum is one of the best we've ever seen. And everything What a wonderful yeah. gift to the community. Yep. I mean, there's very few carriage collections that are like that anymore. That, that really take you through the history of carriages from from way back to Chinese days when they were carrying people. She has some of those all the way through time. And she has one of the largest collection of coaches, the big ones, you know, the big coaches. She yeah. has one of the largest collections of those in the world. Uh, and she's had them all meticulously restored and, you know, probably has spent millions of dollars on it. You know, if I was a millionaires, I would take something like that, something that I was really passionate about and create a not a museum but like a a place where people can come and share so if i just had all this money to pump into something i think i would do exactly the same thing take my passion and create something really phenomenal and then invite the world to come in and share it and be touched by its magic you know and she knows i agree totally and and you know i've always wanted to have a carriage collection but i won't do fancy carriages like this i've always loved the commercial vehicles the the milk oh yeah yeah the livery yeah the livery stuff the milk carts and the you know the the food carts and uh the popcorn and the chuck wagons you like the chuck chuck wagons wagons too something that's got a purpose like the the expedition the the expedition version of they're cool and they're colorful and they have odd shapes like the fire trucks and the you know the tanker truck the tanker wagons of the day do you think Um, if you this is a side note. I'm going to take us down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but okay. if somebody, if somebody, by the way, somebody, we do have guests coming up. Hang on. <laughs> if somebody stepped up and, and offered to pay your way through this adventure, would, would you cross the United States in a covered wagon? I like, like, let's just say this summer, somebody stepped up and said, all right, Glenn, here's a chunk of money. I want to, I want you and Jen to take, two people or five people with you and get a big wagon, a big horse drawn wagon and go from coast to coast. And then okay, Facebook live. Your Can I take a shower somewhere every day? I, I don't know. I, you maybe if you pull up with your wagon to someplace that'll let you take a shower. Can I sleep in a hotel? It's, <laughs> it's all up to you. How you make it from coast to coast you know, is I up think, to you. I think, but you your know, method of transportation has to be covered wagon. You know what horses. scares me a little bit about that is several people have done that. And almost everyone I know about in recent time has been hit by trucks or cars. Oh, crud. And really? That, yep. Almost there was one that was making his way across the country and has twice took out his wagon. 
Uh, one was a truck and one was a car. People just don't pay attention. And I think some of the roads you end up having to go on, people yeah. aren't used to seeing that. I grew up in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. We, there were buggies everywhere. You, you, you've looked for buggies. Yeah. But, you know, if you're not growing up in there and, and you're coming over a hill and you're not expecting it, and uh, that's one reason I'd be a little concerned. I'm so naive sometimes. I still yeah. think that things like that can happen in this world. Then I forget that, you know, uh, you there know, is a world outside of my little brain. Yeah. And, you know, even people have ridden across the country that we followed have had hairy incidents and mostly with cars. Well, remember Kathleen's Wild Ride? Yeah. She had a lot of hairy incidents with cars. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. she was at least on, you know, she was um, mounted. So she could go off on trails and, and she had a little more room to get out of the actual traffic traffic. All right. Well, we're going to cut off this conversation because we have to get to some guests. Well, right after this commercial from horselovers.com, we are going to Nick Snap with our productivity tip of the month. We all get in a rut when it comes to shopping for horse supplies online. If you have not tried horselovers.com yet, then you are missing out on one of the world's largest online tack shops and all the best brands like Noble Outfitters, Ariat, Turn 2, Tough One, Professional's Choice, Weaver, and many, many more. Visit horselovers.com every day to see their daily deals and flash sales. Horselovers.com has everything for the Western and trail rider. So get on over to horselovers.com today and save. It's time for our productivity tip of the month with Nick Snap, host of the Make It Snappy Productivity Show. It's time again for our organizational slash productivity segment with Nick Snap of the Make It Snappy Show. Welcome back, Nick. How are you? I'm doing well, as always. How are you? I'm okay. A little under the weather. I'm getting this, you know, the cold. But I'm here on Stable Scoop with some really good people, and I'm ready to learn something new. And you've got a new tip for us this week. Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit about daily planning and weekly planning because it trips people up a lot. Would you agree? I'm always tripped. I'm always flat on my face. Yes. (laughs) Well, there's the daily planning and a lot of people have that nailed. You know, there's been a lot of uh, publications out there about how to plan your day well and do your morning rituals and all that kind of stuff. So most people kind of take the, well, what are the three things I need to get done today and check them off your list and you're good. Um, It's the weekly planning that people tend to stumble and blow off and you know, just kind of find themselves in the fray week after week after week. So how do you get around that? So daily well, planning, would you would say like, this is what my day is going to look like. Like I get up in the morning, I brush my teeth, I have breakfast, I get to work, I check my emails and then I, you know, I have my first meeting of the day, blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of what your daily plan or itinerary would look like. So this yeah, it seems like a, like a calendar check or even a routine is kind of what you just described. I'm just like, okay. what do you really want to get done for the day? for in this case for the week right so it's what do you want to work on each way um each week and i think about like well what how much time really do you have the things that you need to do each day and it's been such an iterative process for me to try to figure out how to really dial in when you have a lot of different moving parts with um owning your own business and if you're doing like contract work for somebody and you get put on a project then how much time do you dedicate to that, that to the family and all that's just a lot of as everybody has a lot of balls in the air so I, I really like to go back to, okay, what are those repetitive tasks that you do on a day-to-day basis? There's email, well, back to email 
let's talk about email on the show. Um, there's a sales. If you're into sales, there's marketing type stuff you can do. There's errands, uh, spiritual commitments, um, repetitive things that you do uh, on a day-to-day basis. What are those? Uh, and then what's the stuff after you get after all that repetitive stuff that you've already went through, what is the stuff you really should be doing? You know, the important stuff, the stuff that's really going to move things forward. Uh, so I, I like to think of those different buckets that way and okay. estimate. The that are There's one way to do it is to estimate how long those things take. What's that? Uh, so, you, but, think, but these are things that are going to move you forward. So you would use that criteria for prioritizing? Prioritizing, but you I mean, there's so going back to goal type stuff, there's things that are going to move you forward, but then there's, there's those things take time, but then there's the repetitive things that you need to do. You have to do oh, okay. every day. So how much yep. time do these things take? And I guess it's interesting because we let our days just come at us, however they come at us a lot of times. And we don't think about like how much time is this stuff taken and how can I make it, how can I make the best use of my time? Is there other orders that I can put the things that I'm doing and I put them in a different order to make it more effective or do I just continue to let things come at me? And one of the things, and I, I've said this before, I think to you all, but I track my time specifically my work time and I do it not necessarily because I need it. It's almost like a gut check for me nowadays, but if you've never tracked your time, there's some great apps out there to do it. And I would just recommend doing it for like a week, maybe even a day. And just think about how much time you're spending on certain things. It's gonna, it always opens my eyes. So for me, I did a little case study um, I have for you all to share like what I spent. This is just kind of related to work. So last week, I spent five hours on my podcast stuff, which was very surprising to me because I thought it was more in the two-hour range. I spent, uh, it was more of a complicated show, so I guess it's a little bit understandable. Uh, I spent 18 hours on my product launch. I spent three hours on social media, four hours planning, and 18.5 hours on independent contractor work, and five hours on other stuff. Wow. So, yeah. And I, I look at those numbers. I'm like, well, how does that balance out to you know what I want to get done? And I saw that I had 18 hours on the product launch. I'm like, you know, that's pretty align with what I want to get done. But what that did for me was help me the following week. I could take those hours like, okay, if I'm spending this much time now on everything that I'm doing for work, how can I take this stuff and do it like at once in larger blocks? Because I work really well that way. Or how could I how could I take maybe a, a bigger thing like um planning my day, for example, and how can I split that up instead of doing like one massive weekly review, how can I split that up throughout the throughout the week to make that easier. And so you take these blocks of time now that you know how long you're spending. Is that is that appropriate is the first question. And then if it is, or even if it isn't, well, what should it be? And then how do you put those blocks into your schedule to make it work? Knowing that information is just really, really empowering. So um, we go back to the week. Do you Do you start? At the smaller level, like start with this is what I have to get done today and then plan out your week from there? Or do you start at a higher level and say, these are the things that have to happen this week and then break it down into the day? I always start at the higher level. Like, what okay. are those things that, because you got you to gotta really figure out like what do you absolutely need to get done that's important. And if you don't know how long that kind of stuff's taken, then you fall back on, well, how much time do I have? You know, routinely, if if you know you're going to be in your boss's office for an hour and a half or two hours every every other day, uh, then make a note of that. And how many hours do you want to work for that particular week? Uh, sometimes it's in your control, sometimes 
this is not. And just lining all that stuff out to think about like, really, what are these different things that I'm doing? And if I need to get this big thing done, how long should it take? And when do I need to get done? It's just a very, it's a, it's a broader look at planning your, not just your day, because in your day, it's just so micro. You're just right. in it. You try to knock things out and you move. But at the end of the week, you might look back and like, oh, dang it. I really wanted to get that project done. I've been blowing it off for three weeks. I know that's going to help myself and my company so much more than all the little things that I did. I thought I was being productive, <laughs> but was I really? Because I'm still kind of where I was two weeks ago. So you know, let's talk up. about intentions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my intentions are great. great. I have good intentions every morning to make a list of things I have to do that day. Yeah. And uh, I don't. Um, and I was trying to figure out, I was just listening to you guys talk, and I'm trying to think, why don't I? Because every morning I say I'm going to make a list. But then every morning I start doing, and I never make the list. So Now, obviously I get things done, right? I mean, Horse Radio Network is right. doing pretty, pretty good. And I, right. I do get things done, but I don't get everything. I, you know what I think it is? And that's what I was just thinking, and it may sound stupid. I think it's because, for me, if I make the list, I never get a tenth of what's on the list done each day. And it's mm-hmm. depressing to me at the end of the day to have all of those things undone, even though it's great to have that as a starting point the next day. I think it's a psychological thing where I'm just depressed to have the things on the list at the end of the day. Oh, mm-hmm. totally. That's you hit the nail on the head. You don't, you don't, that's the problem with these lists is you, you we're always so poor at estimating how much we think we can get done. So whole other topic is reasonable estimates. And that, that kind of yeah, but, goes back to tracking but, your time, right? But I often look at the list too as things I have to get done at some point. These things need to get done. So it's uh-huh. not just a list of today. I put them on the list so I don't forget to do them, period, right? right. So I just don't forget to do them at all. Uh, and, you know, maybe... And I know about prioritizing listener. And I still handwrite mine, by the way, because I've tried every program I can find on the computer. And right. I suck at opening up those programs and actually writing something in them. Because I already have, I'm like Helena, and I know Helena. She has 30 screens open when she's, 30 tabs <laughs> open when she's working I on do. stuff. You do, yeah. and I do too. And the last thing I want to do is have another tab. Of you the, get distracted. So well, I write it a, down on paper. You know, I still do it. That's that. what I do. Yeah. I do you're my great candidate paper. for the bullet journal. You, you all know about the bullet journal? No. Oh, no. well. It's, <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you about the bullet journal. It's really like the analog version of all the digital things that we're doing nowadays. And there's so many different ways you can do a bullet journal, but it's in one notebook. Or in your case, it's a piece of paper that might not qualify for a, a bullet journal, but it's all right there. And there's a system for finding stuff quickly. And lining it out and planning your week so that you're not overwhelmed by the tech. Because you're right. You get on there and you see all this stuff and you're like, oh, I'm just not going to plan my day or whatever. I'm going to go on Facebook. Um, it's, a, it's a good He knows us between... too well because Alina and I are on at 4.30 in the morning chatting on Facebook. <laughs> we are. I'm up. What are you up? I'm planning my day. Well, I want to I wanna apply this um, philosophy to, let's say a barn manager or a trainer, a professional trainer, she may decide for this particular week, uh, X number of horses are going to be showing on Sunday and, you know, some need some fine tuning. Others need to, you know, be conditioned. They have to work on fitness. So uh, really their version, a trainer's version of a bullet journal may either be a, a book like a day planner, but a lot of times it's a whiteboard. So you have, they'll have a weekly plan somewhere hopefully written down or, or at least in black and white, um, 
you know, whether digitally or in, on right. paper. But then they take their individual days and they put it up on the whiteboard. This, these horses need to be ridden. These are the lessons that I have for the day. These are the horses that are on meds. These are horses that need to be wrapped when they're done riding, et cetera. So um, but what happens is you before you can actually sit, you know, you come in in the morning and you write what on the whiteboard what's to be done that day, you do need to take the time to digest the week and plan it out. So would a bullet journal be good for the weekly planning when, and then you can pull pieces out of it for your actual hands-on, uh, you know, day to day, this is my to-do list. That'd be an excellent strategy. Really? Um, okay. I mean, I, I'm thinking about like Glenn, what Glenn said, he doesn't even take the time to, he's got all the great intentions of coming in and planning his day. So the weekly plan must just be like a, in outer space for you, Glenn. Like it's just not even in <laughs> your radar, plan. right? That's like having yeah. an annual plan. <laughs> but so I, but Glenn, that's you like know, you having said, a five-year plan, like most businesses are supposed <laughs> like, to have. Know. You know like why I gave happen. up on the five-year plan? Because in the third week, it's out the window. You know, you can yeah. do right, a five-year right. plan for for every month for the rest of your life, and in the third <laughs> week, in my experience, in my businesses, it's always been out the window. You just need to be directionally correct. But I mean, I think what you said, your plan, your problem with correct. these lists and everything, Glenn, is that you get overwhelmed and depressed about it. I'm not sure if that's your problem so much as that you don't have accountability. Ah, because he's the boss. pushing you. Nobody pushing you to get that well, done I, every day. But, you got to have somebody I, in your face. But I do have accountability to pay the bills and eat. Sure, but that's still on you. You know, like I, I found the biggest, uh, thinking of like a, different direction here but the the biggest difference for me when you're the boss versus an employee is you got a boss holding you accountable theoretically some bosses just let you go but uh finding creative ways to hold yourself accountable to do those things you you know you need to do to be more effective but you just don't do it apparently i wasn't very good at that either because i got fired from a few jobs along the way so uh it's very good with bosses either Authority in general, accountability. <laughs> Glenn just likes to do what he wants to do. That's right. But That's right. you know, and I know how important this is, and I think we all do. I think those that do it and don't do it both know how important it is. Right? We right. know that we need that list, and the day, the week. So it usually goes by a week. I'll be really good for a week, and it does help having the things written down. You actually get through the list better, and mm-hmm. you get more done writing it down. But then, just, more intentional. But hopefully. then, why don't I? I'm a mess. <laughs> yep. You <are>. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed no. to come to my defense there. One of you. I, I'm a mess too. So maybe that's your defense. Misery loves company. <laughs> yeah, you I'm, are. I'm you and I are a lot alike in many ways, unfortunately well, for you. But uh, Next month, maybe we'll talk about how to make an effective accountability partner because I have some really, really good strategies for that as well. So maybe fix your mess. You know, by... and I do hear people, I do see all these business people and fellow podcasters and things who have accountability partners and they're going to mind, what are those called? Uh, where they all get together. It's like a mind. Masterminds. 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 Yeah, yes. they're doing masterminds. Yeah. And I look at all those and said, I always say to myself, I don't have time to go to a mastermind. I'm too busy running the business. But yeah. It, it's yes. true. You're too busy to like how many how many things can you end the sentence with? I'm too busy to right. and then fill in the blank. Yeah. It's it's true, but really the idea of this is, is so that you're less busy and that yeah. you're, you're right. more productive. It, it's counterintuitive. Isn't I'm it? not arguing it with is, you guys. I'm beating myself mm. up here. Uh. <laughs> I do my. I'm really good with making lists that 
Um, I have a general idea of what I need to do during the week because, well, first of all, I'm a creature of habit, like a lot of horses, you know, we like our routines because then you can, you can manage all these things that you have to do because it's like putting it on some kind of assembly line. Um, so I'm pretty good at having an idea of what I need to get done during the week. And then in the morning while I'm having my coffee, I have a piece of paper out, scrap paper, and I start to write down, write down the things that I think I can get done in that day. And I, and then if I think I can do 10 things, I actually end up writing five. That is perfect. So you don't have the problem I have where you're depressed at the end of the day. No, because you, it does, it requires thought. So for an extra half of a minute of thinking, you're like, all right, uh, I want to go get hay today, but I don't really need to get hay today. So I'm not going to put that down. Um, and then you, so, and sometimes if I actually do get something additional done from my list, I put it on the list retroactively. I put it on there and then I cross it off. But feels good. Um, it feels really good, but it's the it's the thought process and it doesn't take that long. So my little paper to-do list for the day, it feels really good. It's done and then the next day I can do a new list. But what I'm bad at is how do I know what I have to put on each day's list? So I need some work there. Yeah, you would be, you'd love the bullet journal. All I'll do is I, one of my friends, Anna Cragen, did a webinar on how to do a bullet journal recently. So I'll send you all the link and maybe you can link yeah, to we'll it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. That'd be great. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I would, I, uh, I'll, I'll put it on my list to watch it. I you like <laughs> you it. won't use it. I was like, I'll <laughs> oh, oh I did I just got that. Put in your, yes, thanks. Let's <laughs> <laughs> write his list on toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> How does anything get done in the HRN? <laughs> Jennifer says we to me, know. Dan, that, you know, we did 62 episodes last month. Wow. Uh, 62 episodes. And it's going to be more this month. And and at the end of the every week, she says, I don't know how you got anything done. <laughs> but I do. I mean, we That's just amazing. signed up new sponsors. It's... and I, It gets done. It's just not in an organized, orderly fashion. <laughs> Glenn, I'm sure you've used this before, but you are a horse of a different color. I am. I am. Yep. And uh, I don't want to hear any comments from Helene about what color that oh is. Oh, my God. I'm playing <laughs> my dog so bad. I knew that was good. <laughs> so bad. Thank you, Nick. Where can people find you and more of what you do? And you're actually a consultant, too, right? People, you're, We are getting thousands of dollars worth of advice here free. But if you would like more personal uh, advice, you can talk to Nick, too, right? Well, you could have. I don't do coaching anymore. I am uh, taking all okay, that off the table. Okay, take all that back. You can't talk to Nick anymore. He doesn't no, care well, about you. <laughs> what are you doing, though? What does that 18 hours involve? Right. So I decided I was going to focus all my energy onto something, uh, on my business to, that scales and has gotten a lot of attention lately. And it is centered around this idea of effective accountability. So there's a gap between what entrepreneurs say they're going to do and what they actually do. And my goal these days is to close that gap. So I'm developing a platform. It's a a membership site called Real Accountable, realaccountable.com. And we're in our second beta round. It's going really, really well. I have a board of advisors. I have access to investors and mentors and all these different people. And people that join the platform will have access to the same resources as well. So it's going to be a game changer for early stage entrepreneurs who want to scale. And Boy, you notice we weren't asked to be on that board of advisors. He knows us too well. <laughs> no, I don't know what I would advise. Yeah, I would have forgot to put the meetings on my list and what never showed up. <laughs> it's like, but... Well, good luck with it. We wish you the best. Yeah, what's the website? Where, what is it again? 
It's uh, realaccountable.com. You can apply to be in the program if you want to learn more. And you can always listen to me on my podcast at makeitsnappyshow.com. Well, now, next guest that we have coming on the show, I'm very excited about because when we started the Horse Radio Network, the Chronicle of the Horse was one of the first media partners we had. And I was so happy because to get the Chronicle of the Horse is the big daddy of yeah, newspaper magazines in the United States, right? I mean, yep. for, for all of us that especially lived in the Northeast, the Chronicle was it. And back then, if you remember right, there wasn't Facebook or anything. The Chronicle forums were huge because that was the only real effect, you know, the real big forum for the horse world was the yeah. Chronicle forums. Now, you know, they were kind of negative, <laughs> but uh, but the Chronicle forums were <laughs> no, huge. No, they were positive, too. There were yeah, a lot were of very knowledgeable people there. It's like Facebook now. You had both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so the Chronicle forums were huge back then. And, of course, we got the Chronicle for years. When I met Jennifer, she was getting the Chronicle. And, you know, it was just a big deal that the Chronicle would work with Little Old Horse Radio Network and carry our shows. And they still do to this day. So we really appreciate the Chronicle. And we came up with, I think this was your idea, wasn't it? To do yeah, kind of the day yeah. in the life of, a, of an editor of a major magazine. What's their day like? What's it like to be an editor of the Chronicle? So we have Beth Raisin coming on with us. She's the editor of the Chronicle of the Horse. And we're going to find out what it's like in the day of an editor. Well, hi, Beth. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. You know, we've been working with you guys, actually, since we started the Horse Radio Network nine years ago. Uh, our, actually, our shows have been been over on your website for the last nine years, and we've had many, many people on uh, from, 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 uh, from the Chronicle, and we're so happy to have you on, but we wanted to do something a little different. Most of the time, we're talking about your content and, or, or an article or a story, or, you know, we're, tr we're digging a little deeper into something that you covered. Or we did a really great series with you years ago about the history. They went back, we, we, we dealt with someone there who went back once a month into the historical records of your 100 years and would pull a year out and we would take a look at the highlights from that year, which was fascinating, by the way. That was really cool. We should do that again. But Beth, we want to talk to you today about what's your life like as the editor of, a, of one of the oldest established magazines in, in the horse world. What do you do every day? What's what's the day in the life of Beth? Um, I'm, probably the only consistency is that there is no average day. Uh, every day is pretty <laughs> different. <laughs> That's probably why you've been there so long. Yes. <laughs> how long have you yeah. been there, by the way, Beth? How, how, when did you start? Um, I actually started in 1995 as an intern. Oh, wow. So you you worked your way up through the ranks and, and now do the edit. So what does the editor do? And I think that's, I think, you know, a lot of people have misconceptions about the exact job of an editor at a magazine. Well, we, you know, most of it is, is working with the team. I think that's one of the, one of the reasons I've stayed here so long is we have a really fantastic team of passionate, intelligent people. Um, who are just a lot of fun to work with. And we get together every Monday morning and we, you know, take a look at what's happened over the weekend, what's in the headlines, what's coming up, and sort of decide what, you know, what needs to get covered, where is it going to go, what's going to go on the magazine versus the website. Um, and those are just, you know, sort of, you know, the quicker, as at the moment, news stories. We obviously have larger planning sessions about features and the likes and our Untacked Lifestyle magazine, but... Um, you know, there's just a lot of decisions about what to cover and where is the best place for that to be covered. 
as how well often, as who's going to cover it. <laughs> or I shouldn't say how often, how far in advance do you plan your content? I know you're still putting out a print um, version of the magazine. So you really do have to plan very, um, I don't want to say focus, but very carefully. So how does that work? Do you have That's a, like, a calendar? Because we plan a week ahead. You're a little further <laughs> than that, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, every we've had a weekly planning session um, annually. The last few years, we've met in December and tried to map out as much of the coming year as we can for both the print magazine and um, our Untacked, which is also a print lifestyle magazine that comes out six times a year. Which I love. And, um, also, you know, planning some general conceptual things for the website and, and how we're going to approach our web stories. Hmm. I, we, we, tr- a, we should try that. Class. Yeah, we should try maybe. planning. Yeah, maybe that would be a good idea. In a news organization, things come up and you have to be willing to be flexible and change and add things. But So we really just plan the feature stories and then the news stories, you know, We'll keep, we're always keeping our eye out to say, you know, did somebody different win a Grand Prix or someone we haven't written about, or is there some, you know, some other story we could tell here that hasn't been told before? Yeah, and, and plus we're, we're writing about horses here. So there's, there's always yeah. a level of unpredictability simply because of the nature of the animal. Sure. Do they come to you and they, like on TV where they go to the editor and say, we want to do this story. And then you have the, you know, you say yes or no. Is that, is that how it works? Um, I love it when people come with story ideas. I mean, sometimes we as editors sit down and and come up with some story ideas. Sometimes uh, we do it in group meetings. And sometimes we we do get employees or freelancers who have story ideas. And and those are usually really good ones, Um, especially because some of our writers are in the field at horse shows almost every weekend. So they're really some of the best ones to have ideas about something that needs to be touched on. What is it like trying to meet deadlines when you have so many moving parts? And you guys, we've got all different kinds of dif- disciplines, and you cover quite a lot of them. So how how do you manage to meet your deadlines, um, cover everything that you need to cover without setting your hair on fire? <laughs> um, we'll, we've not missed a deadline yet, even. Um, but we, I think we definitely have to have a good sense of humor about it, and uh, we try to keep try to keep the importance in perspective of that, you know, th- these things need to happen. And sometimes we're trying to meet the deadline, but we really feel like something needs one more quote or one photo that's a little bit better than the one we have. And, you know, sometimes you can make those things happen and sometimes you have to do the best that you can because your time is up. And so that's sort of part of the fun of it is always trying to get the best out there within a certain amount of time. Yeah. I I spend a lot of time scrolling through equestrian photos for my job a lot. And there's, you know, it's, there's so many out there that you could literally scroll forever until you find the perfect one. And there's at some point you have to say, this is good enough. You know, do you find that with, um, the expansion of, of horse photography or everybody can kind of, there's a low barrier to entry into photography these days. And, um, so therefore there's a lot of horse photos out there. Do you find that you have too many to choose from or you're still spending a lot of time hunting for the right image that helps tell your story? It would be pretty rare that we would have too many to choose from. Um, You know, a lot of because we cover a lot of competitions, you know, we're often in a situation where if we don't, you know, we, we we will take our own photos if we have a staff writer at the event. But if we don't or if our camera freezes when the winter goes by. 
then we will be looking for the show photographer. And some of those photographers, most of them are really awesome and we work with them on a regular basis. But every now and then we'll cover a show that's, you know, not, you know, like a one-off show that happens once a year. And sometimes the photographers just don't have, you know, there'll be one photographer there and they just don't have a nice image of the winning horse. And there's not a lot we can do about that. Um, so that's one of our biggest challenges is with, um, you know, competitions that have photographers that are not the ones that we work with on a regular basis, but have, you know, probably a new or novice photographer. Yeah. Yeah. At AHP last year at the American Horse Publications meeting, one of the conversations was, and I know one of the speakers that I sat in on said, said you, that print is doing better than ever and, and expanding. And is that true? I mean, where, where, where are you guys at as far as the, the print magazine as opposed to the online? Um, we've had a steady increase in subscriptions over the last three or four years after a decline that had happened previous to that. But for the last yeah, three years... Yeah, that could have been just been... economy-related, though. That was about the time. Yeah. That, yeah. It's been really strong, though. I mean, we've had a lot of interest. We've tried to tackle issues that we think are important to the industry that would really engage um, anybody who's involved in these sports. And, you know, we look at it as our combined audience because we have a really, really vibrant web presence. We're the number one non-racing horse website, and our overall network reaches 1.3 million people between the print and the digital subscriptions and our web and social media presences. So we sort of look at it as the whole package, but our print for sure is on the rise with subscribers, and um, we also have a very strong interest in advertising in the print product. Do you awesome. put everything from print on the web or are there a lot of things that are in print that you don't put on the web? We do not. Um, okay. Our web content is, is mostly unique content. Oh, that's got it. Good. Quicker, shorter, um, more immediate stories that we feel are more um, appropriate for the web. But we do now and then put some of our favorite stories online. But for the most part, you know, it's entirely different experiences of what you read in the magazine versus the website. What do you see 10 years down the line with magazines in general, not just Chronicle, but? Um, I think, you know, I think that there is an interest in retaining the print product. Um, you know, we have thing, we have a new app that came out last year and we're about to launch a redesign of our website that's going to be much easier to use on mobile devices. But, you know, I think that that's a really important, those are really important things to do. But I also think that, the experience that people have with print is something that is a, just, just a very different experience. And I know as somebody who spends the day looking at a computer screen all day, you know, when I get home, if I'm going to take a break, I, I would rather pick up something in print just because my eyes have been on a screen all day. Right. And I, and <laughs> it's why I've stopped playing video games, Beth. Uh, right. I'm just like too tired at night to look at the screen anymore. <laughs> yeah, me too. I go for something in print just to, just to, set myself get my feet back on the ground as well and of but, course they tell you it helps you sleep better and all of those things so this is true I, I mean i've actually put my phone i have to keep my phone downstairs now so i'm not reading articles and you know it, that that time right before you go to bed is such a great time to i don't know brush up on a little bit of this or a little bit of that but i found that having the phone downstairs has actually helped me to sleep better so um now i just read a book Remember those books, Glenn? Yeah, yeah geez. We watch Big Bang Theory. That's how we fall asleep every night. So. Um, Beth, what have you seen as the biggest change since starting at the Chronicle way back when 
to now in terms of the community, uh, the horse community? The biggest change in the horse community? Yeah. I, you know, I think, I'm not sure there has been that big of a change. It's, it seems like a pretty, um, you know, a group of people that don't, don't change real fast. <laughs> but, you know, I've, we've certainly seen the sports change. Um, we've seen a lot of change in the sports, a lot of additional championships. I mean, every single year, there's just more and more to cover. Um, you know, there just are national championships in almost every single discipline that didn't exist 20 years ago. Um, so that's one thing that we're constantly struggling with is how do, how do we cover the little man who's winning at the regional level and still get all these national championships covered because there's more horse shows and everything going on than there ever used to be. Yeah, that's true, especially in the jumper world. And, and uh, there's more money than there than there ever has been, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let, let, uh, what about WAG? You got WAG coming up, of course, that you guys are, are kind of involved. Uh, uh, your owner is also involved in Tryon and, and bringing the WAG to Tryon, which we're covering with our 2018 WAG show. So, uh, you know, are you guys excited that, that it's back and, and going to be covering it here a little closer to home? We are. We're thrilled that it's in the United States, um, and obviously, of course, that it's at Tryon, which is owned by Mark Bellissimo, who also owns um, the Chronicle and the Winter Equestrian Festival in Colorado Horse Park. And, you know, Mark has been a fantastic person to work with. He's really brilliant and has brought a lot of energy and great ideas to the Chronicle. And just and having experienced that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, he's also created the Central Park Horse Show um, and, you know... He, he tends to have great success with things that he touches, so I'm sure that the WEG is going to be fantastic. Well, we're looking forward to it, and I know you guys will be. I know you guys will be there because uh, we we sat right beside you at the last WEG, so uh, you'll be there covering it. And it's a little close at home, a couple hours down the road for for you now. So we're looking forward to seeing you there. And thank you for your support of the Horse Radio Network over all the years as well. And we've enjoyed working with with everybody at the Chronicle Doors. Thank you so much, Glenn. Fairfield Inn and Suites North by Marriott Lexington is the ideal hotel for you as they are the closest hotel to the Kentucky Horse Park. They have the most spacious guest rooms and suites in the area, and they're only four miles from downtown Lexington. Fairfield Inn and Suites North offers complimentary breakfast, free Wi-Fi throughout the hotel, free parking, a business center, an indoor swimming pool and jacuzzi, an outdoor patio with grill, laundry facilities, and much more. You get hungry, Cracker Barrel is located right next door, and there are four other dining options available within walking distance for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Of course, Lexington is known for the Kentucky Horse Park, University of Kentucky, Keeneland, and the historical Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Enjoy a terrific hotel experience while you're touring Lexington. There's no denying that the Lexington North Fairfield Inn & Suites is the best value in town and will meet all your hospitality needs. Just Google Fairfield in North Lexington and make your reservations today. Now, there's no Tack and Habit this week, but we will have Tack and Habit coming up. We met a bunch of companies at Ada that we're going to do interviews with, as well as, I have exciting news, Horselovers.com has agreed to another full year of products going out for review. Now, that means that if you are not an auditor yet, you should become an auditor. Look at, 
I mean, look at some of the dollar amounts of products that people got to review for free. And it's all by becoming an auditor. We had people with $400 boots that were sent to them. Dude, I'm bummed out about those <laughs> boots. I want, I get nothing anymore, just so you guys know. It's all going to our auditors. So now, you're like my we children. Are, we are gonna sacrificing get, We are going to give the hosts kind of first dib this year because we, we kind of <laughs> slighted everybody last year, the hosts. So, <laughs> that's okay. So, uh, we, oh, that's all right. We are, But it's so cool that the auditors got to do that. It was a very popular segment, and people like hearing other people like them review products. So, yeah. so that's what we're well, going to do. Well, you know do. what? We have really good, knowledgeable They did some uh, better auditors. reviews than we did, to be honest. <laughs> they did do, I know, which is you got to take one for the team. You got to let yeah. the people who can do the job do the job. And they were and really our, good. our auditors did a great job. Well, they're going to get to do it again. So if you're not an auditor yet, get on over like right now to stablescoop.com, click on the auditor banner, and become an auditor for as little as a dollar a month. Let me tell you, some of those auditors got products that will pay for their auditorship for the next 20 years. Um you know, it it was really yeah. a valuable thing, and we're coming up with a real fair, fun way to to assign the products this year. So we definitely want you to be involved in that and to become an auditor to have the potential to get one of these products and review it on the show. And that's how you do that. Thanks to horselovers.com for agreeing to do another year's worth, which, to be honest, is a major effort on their part. It's a lot of products to ship out. It's a lot of coordination with companies. There's a lot of work on their part to make it happen. So thanks to them for, for making it happen again this year. And become an auditor today. You're missing out if you don't. Plus, you're just missing out on the cool part of being an auditor, which is the auditor room and all the conversations and all the fun. And we, we ask auditor polls. All the listener polls we do are done in the auditor room. The auditors the love. get to, yeah. The auditors get to ask questions to the to the experts we have on, and they're jumping and Mary Kitzmiller, and all of that's done through the auditor room. That's where all the cool things happen. We had in a Super Bowl. I don't know if you noticed that the other night. We were all in the auditor room having a Super Bowl conversation during the Super Bowl the other night. It was like being with family in there. Uh, ah. It was kind of neat. Yeah, and, and they were saying bad things about New England, so it's probably good you weren't in there. Oh, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was, I was sitting around the fire with actual family, with real family, <laughs> lamenting Wait. the impending loss. I thought they were going to lose. Did you and hang then, out to the I, end? Did you hang in? Well, we. Here's the funny thing: is um, Rachel's new baby, Sophie, likes to be bounced on Brody's jolly ball. I got this huge <laughs> jolly ball for him. It's one of those, you know, paddock balls. Yeah. yeah. The big blow up ones that you can sit on. So if you sit on that and bounce her on it, she she loves it. It soothes her. She falls asleep. So we had that at the ready just in case. Because this is only her second time, you know, being out of the house. She's such a little wee thing. But so we had the jolly ball out and she had fallen asleep. So I'm sitting on the jolly ball just for, for kicks, you know. And I sat on the jolly ball and I think it was the first, I think that was when New England scored they got on the map then i got off the jolly ball and something happened they fumbled then i got back on the jolly ball new england scored again so it turned out that every time i sat on the jolly ball new england scored so it was everybody all in my you. house you did they it. wouldn't let me they wouldn't <laughs> let me get off the jolly ball i had to sit through the whole overtime on that stupid jolly ball and sure enough they won it was hysterical that was a, but, probably so, the best Super Bowl ever game was. It was a pretty good game. Yeah. It was a pretty good game. I almost gave him what to bed. Jennifer did. She gave up and went to bed when it was like, you know, 25-point lead. And, and uh, I thought, oh, well, heck, I'm awake. I'll just hang with it. Yeah, I'm glad I did. Yeah. 
I was always rooting for Atlanta. Sorry to say, but I was rooting for Atlanta. Uh, (laughs) You know what? I don't even care who wins. I just want to watch a good football game. It was true. It was true. And I ate way too much dip. So by the end of the game, I was like, oh. (laughs) Uh, so, So now tell us what's going on over on that Newport show. That Newport show. Let's see. We have somebody exciting coming up this week. Oh, we're talking about... Uh, the Newport Art Museum. Check this out. The Newport Art Museum, which is a really cool place. It's a, it's a museum, but um, it does all kinds of community programs and everything. They just got a $5 million donation Whoa. from an independent, a private, anonymous benefactor. Whoa. $5 million. Can you believe that? What are they going to do with that? I, well, we're, you're going to find out if you listen to that Newport yeah. show this week. <laughs> and uh, we've got a bunch of stuff coming up. We're just still getting ready for the the big um, wedding expo in uh, about two weeks. We'll be That's talking be to brides and grooms. Remote, right? Yep. Yeah. Cool. Remotes are always one. so much fun. Are yeah. You, are you, you going to get all be... dolled up? I don't want to get all dolled up because. I just don't want to get all dolled up, but I do want to eat the snacks that they're going to have. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. Cause they all get to try because caterers are trying to get their business. Well, and then they have like, you know, the bakers who come with their wedding cookies. Uh, and you're going to get all the little favors. I want to come away with some swag. I'll be like, hi, do you want to be in our podcast? What do you got for swag? <laughs> I'll trade you. And then have you have Buck going around saying, I'm getting married soon. Can I try all your treats? <laughs> Fib a little. <laughs> he would totally do that. Yeah, we would. are not above the lying and cheating. <laughs> I know he would. Because <laughs> he's like me. We'd be going around together. <laughs> totally. Two peas in a 55 pod. 55 pieces of cake later. <laughs> he's a salami guy. He's He likes salty and savory. Oh, I'll, I'll have the cake then. I'm not allowed to eat it, but I would eat it anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm the sugar girl. I like the sweets. He likes the salty. You so know, it's good. I never have to worry about someone stealing my goodies. When you can't have cake for or sugar for a long time, you learn which of the things are that you crave the most. And yeah. I have determined it's chocolate cake. With good chocolate cake with chocolate icing is what I crave the most. Chocolate cake, not just chocolate. No, chocolate, chocolate cake, cake with chocolate icing is what I crave. Even above ice cream and everything else. Chocolate cake with chocolate ice cream. You know what? My my I have two two secret kryptonite like things that I, I can't resist. They are, um, those little, those little Welsh's fruit snacks. Really? You know, they're like, they're gummies. Oh I, my I God. I didn't know anybody could kids ate those. <laughs> I can, you, we, you, they sell them in the big, big, huge boxes from like BJ's or Costco. I could literally finish an entire box in two days. If you left me with them <laughs> unsupervised and the other, even bigger than the Welch's, cupcakes. Oh, yeah. Cupcakes are good. You know why You know why I figured out cupcakes are good? It's the ratio to, with a cake, with a slice of cake, the ratio to icing isn't as great. So with a cupcake, you got a ton more icing than you do yeah. if on a cake, right? And it's even better when you have some creamy goodness in the middle of the cupcake that's not the same as the icing. It has to be different. Yes. Than the icing. It's like a honeymoon in your mouth. <laughs> and having grown up on tasty cakes, you know, the little tasty cake cupcakes, and and I even thought they were good. 
because the icing I'm was I'm dying good. right now. I'm dying. <laughs> I know. We got to go. My mouth is We're watered. leaving everybody hungry. Thank you for joining us, everybody. It's That Newport Show. If you want to hear all about that, what's coming up. And also, you can find all, uh, all of our shows on the Horse Radio Network app in the App Store, iOS, or Android. Just download Horse Radio Network app. It's free. It's easy to use. All 12 of our shows are there now. The WEG Show this week coming up. Uh, we are on the 10th. It comes out. This will be our third episode. The second episode was eventing. And this episode, we're going to be announcing our Spotlight Driver, and we're going to be talking all about driving on this episode. So that's what's coming up on the WEG show. Uh, that's it for us. Thanks, Helena. That's plenty. We'll be back next week. Until then, happy scooping, everyone. Mm-hmm.